Mishnah on Lamed Dalad Amid Beis, 34b. Fascinating discussion today. Mana Nifras Menixte Yisomim. Basically, we got on to different uh, rabbinic rules that were made um, by um, different, different tikkun olam, different fixes that were made, certain laws that were needed to be made. And we started off with laws that were made on divorces. Like one law was that they would use uh, the, the current name and the previous name because uh, originally they would write one name and uh, over time, sometimes people don't get called that same name. And uh, therefore, they, uh, they instituted that um, you should always have multiple names. That was one of the previous ones. So once we listed uh, the, some of the rules of Gamaliel, so he had a famous base, then we're going to list some other ones. But they're not directly related to divorce law, they're related to other laws. So one of the rules is, that a, uh, when a person dies, the widow uh, can collect her ksuva. Now, uh, often the widow would take care of the orphans and would have access to the funds and would have uh, al- already received a significant amount of her ksuva. And so the usual rule was um, that they made a uh, person swear, the widow swear, that she only took the right amount that she didn't have any money that didn't belong to her. So that's the Mishnah begins. If the widow is collecting, if there's orphans there, and she's taking the estate away from what should go to the orphans, meaning what she's entitled to, she has to take a public oath that she didn't previously take more than uh, was, uh, she was allowed. Now, we're going to see that uh, people, um, this became a, a, uh, a difficult thing because a widow was living in the house, had full access to the money, and she was taking care of the orphans, and most of the money went for the orphans, but some of it went for her. And sometimes she would swear she didn't take a penny, and she had already taken quite a penny. And uh, taking an oath falsely is a very severe thing. We don't, uh, people um, even avoid taking an oath if it's true. Because taking an oath with Hashem's name uh, uh, is, a, is a, a scary, scary thing. We, um, you know, hopefully when we sin, <laughs> it should only be a private sin. But you should never try, a person should never try to sin and bring a Kodesh Borchu into it. That's like the worst type of Avera. That's a Chol Hashem as well. So to swear by Hashem's name falsely would be a really terrible thing. So um, since that's the only way they can uh, collect from orphans, and then they found that a lot of these widows were swearing falsely, nimum lahashbia, the courts would not let the women swear. And if the women don't swear, then they wouldn't be able to fully collect their ksuva. So it created a dilemma. In other words, how can they, uh, you don't want them to swear because they, they are basically good people, but sometimes they make a little white lie and uh, they actually do a terrible sin, which would be to swear falsely. We're going to see that they would hold the Sefer Torah and they would say Hashem's name, and it was really a big deal. So what happened was 
Nima Mahashpia, the courts stopped uh, having these widows swear, and uh, they had difficulty in collecting their ksuva. So Hiskim Regamlil Hazakin, the Regamlil made a tikanolim, he made a decree, Shete no Yisomim. Instead of using an oath with a Sefer Torah in the name of Hashem, they could take a simple vow. Uh, now, what would the vow be? A vow usually means, if I'm not telling the truth, X, Y, Z. Right? This should be forbidden to me. So, they, they could come up with, uh, you know, whatever the courts wanted, uh, or uh, in particular, whatever they felt would be an effective thing. And then she could collect. So, the, so the first tikkun olam is that instead of taking a shvua, a, uh, a swearing by a Torah with Hashem's name, they let her do the less important thing. They let her just take a netter. That's number one. Next. That Mishmish is going in the view that the, the witnesses didn't have to sign. They'd actually come to court and testify about the divorce. And uh, he instituted that witnesses should always sign the divorce. Because uh, sometimes you don't have the witnesses to the divorce itself, but you can always trace the witnesses that signed. And then the third decree was during the sabbatical year, Hillel Hiskin Prusbo. People didn't want to loan money because they didn't want the debt forgiven. And so he uh, formalized it that people could give it their debt to Beisden if they still wanted to be able to collect on that debt. These are three different uh, rules for three different situations. We're going to examine the first one, which is that uh, uh, widows, we didn't want widows taking a shvua uh, when they came to collect their ksuva. So the more is a question, my area almano, why are we picking on the widow? It's not just the widow. Uh, anybody that wants to collect from an estate from orphans, um, the, the problem is orphans are, some, most of the time they're minors. And even when they're not minors, they really don't know what their father owed. And uh, people would pass away and all of a sudden, everybody would have claims against the estate. Everybody would want every single penny that was left. And the poor orphans would be, there'd be no money all of a sudden. And they had no way of knowing, did their father owe the money? Did he borrow the money? Did he agree? And in most cases, the father would have never paid that money out. But, you know, you make an offer, oh, so-and-so passed away. All you got to do is uh, say he owed you or, or it should be yours. And then people would, uh, so they made a rule that you have to swear. So why are we picking on widows? Anybody that wants to take uh, from orphans, you're going to have to swear. So the Gemara answers, We need the case of the widow. Why? Uh, I would have thought, in the, in the other case, where it's the bank and the big bad credit card companies and the old business partners that are all taking away the estate. So we understand we're going to make them uh, make sure that they're not lying one little bit. But the widow, the poor widow didn't do anything wrong. Mishum Hina, I would have thought we want to make it easier on her. That we made a blanket rule that anybody wants to take, even the widow. Now, the widow, we want her to be able to collect her ksuva easily so that she'll agree to get married and uh, she'll be supported. At, um, the, 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 in general, the one of the reasons for ksuva was that if a woman gets married and takes care of a husband and uh, lives her life, and then uh, uh, she's uh, giving up uh, from working or, or putting time into the household, 
And uh, how does she know that she'll be taken care of? And so the ksuva is a guarantee that uh, if her husband passes away or he divorces her, she'll be supported. But if, uh, so therefore, we would want to make it easier for her to collect. So maybe we wouldn't require a shvua, so we're saying that we do. So nimilashbia, but then the courts stopped allowing them to take an oath. My time, oh, what's the reason? Elaine Mishumdir of Kahana, maybe it's the reason of Rev Kahana, the Omer of Kahana, the Omer Le, Rev Yehud, Omer Rav. We're on the top of 35a, about five lines from the top. It once happened uh, in a year of famine uh, that somebody asked a widow to keep an eye on his gold coins. I can trust her. Let me give her my gold coins to watch. And she put it in, a, uh, in the flower. She put it in the flower. She had a jug of flour, or I guess flour was very valuable. And um, she put his coin in there. She figured it'd be safe. And then uh, she forgot that she had his gold coin in there, and somehow she baked it into the bread. And a poor person came to her house, and she gave uh, the poor person the bread. Liyamim, after a certain amount of time, Bob dinner, the owner of the money came and he said, Havali Dinri, can you give me back my money? And she said, No, I don't know what happened to it. And he said, Swear. So she said, Omerla, Yehenna Sama Mavis, the poison should affect one of the children of this woman. If I touched your money. Basically, she said her children should die. She took an oath that one of her children should die if she uh, had stolen his money. Omro, they said, It didn't take very long. Sure enough, one of her children died. Why? Because she had uh, benefited from the gold coin and uh, she swore that she didn't. And when the sages heard this, she swore truthfully. She didn't pocket the money. She didn't even realize that she had it. Certainly, if somebody tells a lie, you can imagine um, how much the punishment of a, a false oath would be. Morris says, my time and she. Why did she get punished? She didn't pocket the money. Morris said, because she uh, didn't have to use the whole um, she benefited when she baked. Normally, she would have had to have use a whole cup of flour, and the gold coin took up some space. And so uh, she didn't need as much flour, so she saved on the flour because uh, she cooked the gold coin in there. So it's only a small benefit, but at the end of the day, you don't take, if you person lies under, it's a very strict thing. People would not, kept their words seriously. Unfortunately, we live in a world where it's so common for people to lie. They have an expression, walk back your words. How do you walk back your words? <laughs> it's a lie. So, and that's if somebody meant to tell the truth, they get punished. So, she didn't actually lie, but it's like she told the truth. So, that is the... Uh, so, therefore, they wouldn't let... They decided to discontinue this practice of having uh, a widow might not be so educated and she might not realize that she's not telling 100% the truth. Uh, often, uh, when people have arguments and uh, uh, each one tells a different story, they're both convinced that, the, that they're telling the truth. 
It's just their truth is different from someone else's truth. So uh, that's why. Let's, um, so therefore, they, people were, um, they stopped doing this, taking formal oaths. And as we said in the Mishnah, they did a much simpler oath who's, uh, just to, to swear where the punishment isn't as severe. So the Mara said, hai, if that's true, my Iriyal Mano, why, if, if, uh, what, why did we pick on a widow, a Fila Grushanami, really a divorced woman also, uh, shouldn't swear for that reason. Now he said, this is only true about a widow, that we don't want her to swear, Ava Grusha. But a divorced woman, Mashpianosa, we will make her take the stand and take a formal, official, super duper oath. But why, so why, if we let the divorced woman, it's the same woman, right? It's the same kind of person. So the Gemara said, Almanashani. The widow cases are different. Because she's running the household. She's doing so much for her deceased husband's family, his kids, her kids. So, it's very easy for her to pocket some of the money she's not entitled to. Because she might feel that she's, uh, she is very generous, but that doesn't mean that she can increase what she can collect. That's a separate subject, you know, whether the, she decides on her own to dedicate herself to the orphans or to his kids. That's very nice. But at the end of the day, she's got to be careful not to collect more than she's entitled. And therefore, they were afraid that she might end up lying. Let's see the Rashi here about the Shvua. Why is it? Um, well, um, let's wait. I'm sorry. I don't want to jump. In. Rashi's coming up. Back to the Gemara, right in the middle of the page. Omer of Yud, Omer of Yermia, Barabba, Rav Shmuel, Domer, Tavayob, Rav and Shmuel both said, Lo Shana El Bebezdin. That's only a Shvua swearing in court. Avachut Sebezdin, but outside court they could swear. Eini, that's not true. Vaharav, Lo Mabik Suvasla Masa. Rav wouldn't let a widow collect even with an outside oath. Kasha, you're right, that's a difficulty. The Surah Masnahachi, they learned this discussion like this. This rule that you don't have a widow swear is in court. In outside court, you could. There's two versions, whether it was just inside court they didn't swear, but an out-of-court oath you could take. Raf himself said even outside the court, you don't make her swear. Rav would not let the widows um, collect the ksuva. I... Um, um, so then, why didn't Rav do the solution of our Mishnah, which is to take a netter, which is a plain swear, with a, which is not a shvua? So the Gemara said, In the days of Rav, everybody told white lies. So there was like a double whammy. If you were just talking about uh, to promise or to make a, a small netter, so in Rav, like you couldn't trust that for anything. And if you take the full shvua, that's too dangerous. So, and during Rav's time, it was very difficult for a woman uh, who needed uh, to take an oath to collect, she was kind of stuck. There, you, women only need to take an oath if they've used some of the money, or if they're, or it's a very, not every, the, most cases they wouldn't take an oath, but even those cases where they did, in Rav's years, it didn't happen, so uh, uh, Rav avoided it. He felt any way you look at it, we're in trouble. If you let the women swear, they all lie. If, if, you, if you let them take a netter, if you let them swear, then somebody's going to swear falsely. Let's see the Rashi about uh, what's this about taking an oath. 
Again, in English, the words are all interchangeable. In Hebrew, we have a shvua and a netter. So, chutz based in mashvino, so Rashi, about seven lines from the top. Swearing to uh, the judges, that's a Torah oath. V'nakit sefer Torah b'yadeha. And you hold the sefer Torah in your hand, or a tefillin. B'shem. And you swear with Hashem's four-letter name. Or Bekino, or one or the other. Kashem Avram, Simna Yadcha. Somebody that lies in that way in front of a court, the penalty is super duper. And if it's outside court, it's only a rabbinic oath, and it's only all the person does is get a curse. They don't hold the Torah. It's not such a big punishment. But... Uh, a court oath is like really a, a big thing. Okay, back to the more. Now we got some stories. So again, we have this dilemma that uh, a certain sin. Mm-hmm. Interesting. This is a source that shows that a woman can hold the Torah. I was wondering if she's holding it or, or like they're holding it for her. But yeah, I. Well, I it's interesting. It's a, what says Benukat Sefer Torah Biyadeha? So she's holding it. Oh, Tefillin. So either a Torah or. <laughs> either way, you're right. <laughs> I no, see. So, I don't, so maybe, it, Rashi's not, you know, certain cases Torah, certain cases Torah. Right, right. Trying interesting. It is uh, over half the page. Last word on the line. Um, so again, we, we're going through this dilemma that certain scenarios that widows have already gotten part of their estate and they have to swear to collect the rest. And uh, the problem was that a formal oath in court is very severe sin if they are lying at all. And it was very easy for them to lie at all. And so our Mishnah said, Rav Gamliel said, they switched from a court oath to a nether. And the Gemara said that sometimes instead of swearing in the court, they swore out of the court. But in the times of uh, Rebbe, he just uh, just didn't have it sweared at all because he said that people, uh, you couldn't trust a word they said. <laughs> I shouldn't say it like that, but the Gemara said that it became easy for people even to lie falsely. So now the Gemara brings this story. He used to come to Rebhuna. There was a story where a woman came in front of Rehuda. So, Omer Lach, my Evan Lach. So... Uh, Rav Huna said, what can I do for you, the, to the widow? Uh, to the, uh, um, he says, uh, Rav said that we don't let a widow collect her ksufa uh, with an oath. So, the whole reason is, um, I skipped a line. Let me start that again. I don't know where I, I, I think I went down too far. Um, it's right in the middle of the page. I went down too low. This rule that we don't take a shvua is in court. Outside court we would. For Rab said, even outside the court, uh, where you don't hold a Sefer Torah and you don't use Hashem's name, ain't mashvino so. And Rab is consistent with his opinion the Rab lo Rav would not let a widow uh, collect her ksuva in a case where she needed an oath. 
I will let her take a simple vow, like we said before, a netter of a ligvi. The answer is, Bishnei de Rav Kal Nidre. In the days of Rav, it was a, a simple oath people didn't take seriously. As we said, they would tell a white lie. Haidas the Kamei de Ravuna. Now we have a story. Someone came in front of Ravuna and wanted to collect. Amalei, my Evidlach. What can I do? De Rav lo Rav wouldn't let a widow collect. I can't let you swear. Amalei. Midhu Taima. What's the reason you don't trust me? Ella Dilma Naki Midei Miksuvasi. The only reason you, you don't want to give me my ksuva is because you think I collected it. Chai Hashem, the, uh, the widow swore by the life of Hashem, Svakos to Hashem, who is the God of hosts. I didn't take a penny. So basically what happened was she didn't wait for the court to make her swear. The court had already stopped having women swear because too many of them were lying. This woman voluntarily swore. So Omer Ravuna Motorab Kofetis. Rav would admit if she did swear voluntarily, Kofetis means she jumped, she jumped in, uh, then we would believe her. In other words, Rav wouldn't administer an oath, but in this case, the woman, without being asked, she took an oath. Another story. Someone came in front of Rav Ravuna and he said, Ma I'm sorry, I can't do anything for you. Rav wouldn't let a widow collect a ksuva. Because in those cases where she had to swear, because uh, we're afraid that they'll lie and we stop doing that. So, and Abba Mori also wouldn't allow it. So she said, all right, if I can't cut my ksuva, then give me maintenance. That's the... You can eat, a, a widow is entitled to either maintenance or ksuva. He said, I can't give you maintenance either. Rav Yudah taught the name of Shmuel when the widow is ready to leave and she's no longer taking care of the household. The basin, when she goes to court and asks for maintenance, so she doesn't get food. So, so this widow got extremely upset. Because basically, again, what happens is that a husband passes away and then the widow gets maintenance. As long as she's taking care of the household or the orphans or she's not ready to remarry, she gets support. When she's ready to uh, get married again and she doesn't want to take care of the orphans or she's ready to leave the husband's house, then she collects her ksuva and she goes on. But once she asks for her ksuva, she no longer gets maintenance. It's either one or the other. Now, in this case, she asked for a ksuva, and we told her, sorry, no ksuva, because we're, the, we're not in the oath business right now. And then she said, okay, I'll go back to maintenance. And they said, well, the rule is once you ask for your ksuva, you can't get maintenance. And so basically, they were leading, leaving this widow with nothing. So So she cursed the judge. She said his bed should be turned over. When people mourned, they would flip over their beds. Why? Because you did two chumras with me. Either do one or the other. Either let me collect my ksuva or let me collect the maintenance. But not let me have either is being unusually strict. Now, they realized another thing you have to be careful of is getting a widow upset. The curse of a widow is a big deal. So Afki the Kursayos, so they turned over Rav's bed uh, um, the tetsua to hopefully fulfill the the vow and not have to turn it over because of mourning, but it didn't work. Rav ended up getting sick from that story. 
uh, it wasn't Rav, the uh, Rav Yehuda, uh, the, the one who made that ruling. So it's interesting, in a certain way, he followed every ruling, but sometimes if you use two contradictory rulings, the, the, the litigant ends up in trouble, which is what she was claiming. Uh, but uh, um, I, I, don't know, I don't know what, uh, what the solution would have been, but that's the unfortunate story. Gemara moves on. Omer Lev Huda Lev Yirmiya Biroi Adre Bebeistim He would let her take a vow in Beistim or take a shvua outside Beistim. Velaisi Kola Velifna Be'udni In other words, in his Beit, he would give them a choice. Either you could take a neder, the lesser one in the court, or you could do a shvua outside the court and let people hear Be'udni Demini Ki Hekli Sabed Be'imaisa that people should know this is how he paskin. Again, there has to be a solution for the widows to do it. On the other hand, you don't want to invite people to come and lie falsely. This was specifically an almana, ava grusha, but a divorced woman must be an oso. You could make her swear. The grusha v'adrilo. Now, couldn't a grusha just take a netter? Why would she have to take the stricter one? Ay, v'shochumitam. Didn't they send a message once from Eretz Yisrael? Ek ponisa bas ponisa kibas gita min yada ta'achva bar hajab that a certain woman, uh, the so-and-so, the daughter of so-and-so, received a divorce from achva bar hajab de metikri ihi mori, and that person had a nickname. Va'asra perisha ba'olam and the kind of vow that she took is she swore that if she's not telling the truth, the fruits of the world would be forbidden her. De lo kabatuvaso, that she only took from her tzuva the following thing. Glupkur echad, one coat, the sefer tilam echad, and one sefer tilam. In those days, uh, books were so valuable that they were part of uh, the wills. One sefer tilam and a sefer iev, umishlos, and uh, one sefer mishle, bluyam. They were worn out a little bit. Vishamnam, as we turn the page, bechamishi mana. Basically, she swore that she had already received five mana worth of her ksuva. And when she comes to you, you should let her inherit the rest. So we see clearly that this was a divorcee, and she even swore uh, she didn't take a shvua with a Torah. She used the netter format. That was the, the fruits of the world. So you see that they did use the swearing even for a divorcee. That actually wasn't a divorcee. That used the word get, but it was, uh, it was somebody that whose husband died and was going to marry one of the brothers, and one of the brothers gave her a, what's a, a document that he was not planning on marrying, which is called a get yivmin. Um, Rashi, get yivmin, habi, two lines from the top, yivamahi, shenosin lo get, laposo ala achim. One of the brothers gave her a get so that none of the other brothers would marry her. And actually, she was collecting from her first husband that died, shenis armen and so she wasn't a regular divorcee, she was more like a widow. And again, widows are allowed to swear. Um, and that was the, the rule of our Mishnah, that again, the, the shvua, which is so strict, and the fact that almanas many times would be, have collected some of the money and not realized, and they feel that they are entitled, and maybe they are, but that doesn't give them a right to lie, so he used the less strict form of an oath, he went to a netter instead of a shvua. It's interesting. It's interesting, though. Those three svarim are the Sifrei Emes. 
Right, right, right. <laughs> uh, I, I wonder what, what significance that has. I don't really know. I didn't think of that, Dr. Yaffe. That's terrific. Um, yeah, because they were trying to make sure she tells the truth. But, yeah, he, he's pointing out that there's a, uh, there's a nickname for those. Uh, um, Eov, Tehillim, and Mishle spell out the word truth. <laughs> there's a, uh, those are called Sifrei Emes. Okay, very good. Yeah, I also don't know the significance, but that's fascinating. Okay. So, Reb Gamliel made up Sheheno Deris that she takes a vow. That's only if she didn't remarry yet that she could take the vow that she didn't already collect her ksuva. Avonissas. But if she remarried, ain madiranoso, then the vow won't help. Why? Nissas, my time, it may for Lebal. Because you know what's going to happen? Her husband will nullify her vow. She's going to get up there and say, I should be totally forbidden to benefit from this anymore if I'm not telling the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And then her husband will go and say, well, you know that you did take some of that. Let me remove your vow. And so she, a married woman can always swear falsely. Her husband can remove it. Uh, he, she can swear using the netter formula. The husband can remove a netter, not a shvua. So, um, so therefore, this rule that, that instead of taking the shvua, we take the netter, you better make sure she's not married. So the Morris says, But even if she's not married, uh, how can you let her swear when she gets married, her new husband will nullify her oath. Morris says, we hold like ain't bal mefer bekoden. There's a debate whether the husband can only nullify vows that take place while she's married or even before she's married. But uh, so this opinion says we're not worried. Uh, he can't remove the vows before she's married. Now the Gemara has a fascinating question. Mm-hmm. There's also a time limit, though. It also is restricted in uh, how much time he has. If he heard about it, only if he heard about it, right. Right, so that, that's Yom Shemo. You're saying that it could be like five years, and if that's Yom Shemo, that's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay on that day? Correct, yeah. So then the Gemara says, I mean, I think where Richard was going with is, what if the, he, she's not going to get married that same day, and so by the time she gets married, it already. but the answer is, if he, she, it's only when he finds out, then the clock starts ticking. So the Gemara has a different problem, though, with the netter. A netter, there's a way to remove a netter. You can petition the court to remove a vow. And again, I'm sorry, the English words, vow, swearing, they're all the same, but it doesn't fit the Hebrew. A shvua, the person takes a safer Torah, you can't remove that. A person swears by the name of Hashem with a Torah, a shvua, and based in, you can't petition the court and say, well, I didn't mean it. A netter, you could. So uh, our Mishnah said had a great solution that these women were swearing falsely and they were doing a terrible sin by mistake. So he said, let's use the less strict kind of swearing called the nether. But the nether, actually, you can go to a court and petition them to remove it. So if she swore that she should be forbidden to something if I'm not telling the truth, she could go to court and say, well, I never really meant to forbid myself. I didn't realize I was telling such a big lie or whatever. So, um, maybe she'll go to a sage and get that removed. So the Mara answered, No, this opinion says that in order to get a vow removed, you have to tell the sage. Now, this is what we do, Erev Rosh Hashanah, where we remove vows. And we tell the court that we stand in front, well, we, nobody has time and we have too many, so I'm not going to go into it. But uh, there is an opinion that if you want something really removed, you have to tell the Beisdin. 
So this opinion holds that you got to tell him. And he said, well, she said, I swore that if I wasn't telling the truth about the ksuva, that I'd be forbidden. And I guess I told a lie. So the court's not going to remove that. Reb Nachman says, Afilo Nisus. Uh, he says, even if she's a married woman, we'll let her take a netter. So the Lord said, Isn't the husband going to remove it if she's married? The Lord says, There's a kind of oath that you can have a woman take that she can't get her husband to remove. That's called like a public oath. The Lord has the question, If she's married, she collects her ksuva. And if she takes the vow, uh, it works. My love, the nedra hashta. So you see that you can make the married woman take the vow uh, when she wants to collect her ksuva. We said before only if she's not married, because we were worried if she's married, she'll have her husband remove it. So and then she'll tell a lie. So Morris said, "Lo nedra meikara." It means if she took the uh, vow beforehand. So didn't we learn that when she's married, she could swear tanahi to eat? Uh, so. We're running into a big debate here. Again, we're saying now that the type of swearing used uh, when a woman collects her ksuva is the netter type, because again, they made there were too many mistakes with the shuva type. But now we're worried that what about if the husband can remove it? So, so we have two views, whether we're worried about the husband removing it or not. What's the debate? There's an opinion that you can make her take a type of netter that her husband can't remove. So there's one view that if you make her do it publicly, um, there is an opinion that says even a public vow, the husband can remove. So according to that opinion, you, you wouldn't have a married woman take the oath. There's another opinion that says, Eboy uh, more throws out a question. We mentioned this in passing before, that does, when a woman petitions the court to remove an oath, does she have to tell them why she wants to remove it? Do you need to be specific, or do you not need? Reb Nachman says, nah, you don't need it. Reb Papa says, Sorech, you do need it. Reb Nachman says, Sorech, because if you say that somebody needs to tell you exactly, Zimnin de Gozis sometimes somebody will uh, be short on words, they're very afraid of saying the wrong thing, and the sage that's nullifying, my Deshama Mefer, he'll nullify it, but since she didn't quote it exactly, it won't be effective. So better that she shouldn't go into it, because if she goes into it and says it any different than it actually was, it won't work. Repapa says, Ain't Mishum Milsa di Isur. He says, um, it's, uh, uh, Repapa says, sorry, I'm sorry. Um, he says, um, you do need to go into why you're petitioning the court because sometimes a person uh, 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 had to swear because they were doing something forbidden. And you, the court wouldn't want to remove that vow, which would then permit them. What is that? The Tanan. Let's say a person married a woman who they're forbidden to marry. And the person was a Kohen. And let's say they married a divorcee and they... All of a sudden, they come to the base of Migdash and we tell them, sorry, we won't let you uh, do the service unless you promise to divorce this woman. Uh, so the rule is puzzle. We don't, he's not allowed to do service. He can't, he can't pretend to be a Kohen while he's living in a marriage that violates his kahuna. Until he takes a promise uh, that he's going to divorce her. 
Tanya we learned on there, no dare that he takes the vow, but Ovid, and then he can do the service. Yorid, and then when he finishes, Umagarish, he divorces this wife. The but if you want to tell me that he's not absolutely required uh, to tell the judge why he's petitioning him, let's be afraid. Maybe he'll promise the Kohanim in the base of Oh, yeah, 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 he'll get divorced. He'll swear. And then as soon as he leaves the court, he'll go to the judges and say, I made a promise it's difficult for me to keep. Can you remove it? So there's a kind of oath that they used to make people swear to get them on the right track, uh, to get the Kohen to divorce the shiksa or to divorce the divorcee or whatever kind of person he wasn't supposed to marry. And if that's true, uh, so... Um, then uh, um, it must be that, that a, a court can never nullify a vow unless they know what it is. Um, sometimes you have that. The person said, well, I made a promise and I regret it. Can you nullify it? You say, wait a second, let me hear it. You know, maybe the person is trying to get away with murder. Like, you know, what exactly is it that you regret? You know, so that's really the question that we're in the middle of over here. We have, there is a concept by Netter of petitioning the court to remove it. And uh, can the court insist that the person tell them what it is because there's sometimes where an oath is a good thing, that he promised to be a good boy, and he's not keeping his oath. And so certainly you wouldn't want to remove that type of vow. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I kind of thought that uh, the based in, I didn't even know there was this debate, because we learned in the Durham that uh, the based in will say to the person, if you would have known X, Y, Z, would have you still taken the oath? And then the person says, no, 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 I, if I would have known that, I, I wouldn't, I regret it, etc. So... So they that question is only once they've agreed to remove the oath. That's when they're trying to remove it. But before, even before they uh, they that's that question is is assuming that they heard the oath and they're agreeing to remove it. So they're trying to um, find a pesach to remove the oath. We're saying here that even before you start those questions. You have to find out if it's something that they feel is a good idea. Let's say he, he swore he's going to stop smoking. And now he wants to go to the court remove it. They say, well, tell us what it is that you, uh, you, know, you promised you wouldn't. Uh. So once they tell them, then they ask those questions. That, that's at a different stage. That's basically the... Uh, so, um, okay, we will stop here. Uh, we, it's a really, today was a new subject. This was this... Uh, the, the dilemma of the fact that it's uh, easy for a widow to violate a shvua, and therefore the shvua was not the perfect setup. On the other hand, you wanted her to tell the truth. And so in many cases, we switch to nether, and then we're dealing with the fact that in nether, sometimes you can have removed, especially if she's married. And so then we were uh, trying to deal with how, we'll, uh, how the basin would deal with that issue. Have a great day, everybody. Good night,